Well, good morning. morning. Come on now. Here we are. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. There's so much that we're going to get to dig into today. So as many of you know, if you've been around at all, we are traveling our way through this extraordinary book. This is the revealed Word of God. Uh, this is not primarily a book of a bunch of rules and regs that you got to follow. This is the unfolding story of God and us, who He is, who we are, how the entire thing came about, and what on earth all this life we're living really is about. So that's exciting. Uh, We have spent the last decade moving from the book of beginnings, Genesis, which literally means uh, beginnings, and we've been traveling through the Old Testament stories and into the New Testament. Most recently, over the last few years, uh, we have been in the book of Acts, which is the story of the early New Testament church and the beginning of the redemptive story of God unfolding uh, in its fullness. And so in that book, we encountered a man named Paul. We've been traveling with Paul for a while now in the story. Uh, Paul, remember, uh, was born a Roman citizen. Uh, He was born into a a home of influence, and so he was educated uh, in the greatest Greek institutions that existed uh, in philosophy and poetry. He was also educated by the greatest Jewish rabbis that were available in that time. Gamaliel was one of his rabbinical leaders who was a famous leader during that time. And so Paul has a great mix of the two worlds. Paul, during the time of the spreading of the early uh, church and the gospel, uh, was vehemently against this message of Jesus because he uh, wholeheartedly believed it was against what he had known. And in an encounter with Jesus supernaturally on the road to a city called Damascus, Paul's entire journey changes, and he uh, gains a clarity on the story of God, the truth of the gospel, and from that point forward, he is now traveling all over the known world, uh, bringing about clarity for what God has been doing and what God has been unfolding. Paul was headquartered in Antioch. He traveled uh, sort of northeast to Galatia and Lystra at first, dealing there with uh, Jewish people and Gentile people, uh, seeing the dynamic of the gospel, the redemptive story of God, play out in both those groups. He then traveled on another journey from the area of Galatia and Lystra. He went west, uh, south of Bithynia, north of Asia Minor, crossed over the Aegean Sea, and he headed into Macedonia, which was Roman territory. And so he's now dealing a lot with the Gentile world, the Greek world, the Roman world, and with the Jewish context in each of those cities. Cities like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth. These were the big cities he hit moving his way down the Aegean Sea. And some amazing letters written in the New Testament to these cities later on. Uh, He then traveled back to um, Ephesus and he was on mission there for a while and then back to Antioch uh, and, and kind of traveling around and all this time encountering the Greek world, the Gentile world, and the Jewish world and seeing the gospel play out in those two worlds. Now, why did I remind you of all of that? Because 
that really gives us a context as to why Paul is so incredibly well suited to write the letter of Romans, which is the letter we're currently in. Paul is writing the letter of Romans, that we know as the book of Romans in the Bible, uh, from uh, where his current headquarters are in Antioch to Rome, because he is going to transition his headquarters from Antioch to Rome, uh, because it is the Rome, the city of Rome, where everything is unfolding from. So as the Roman Empire is expanding, Paul recognizes that strategically we can really bring the beautiful redemptive message of God into that expansion and see it expand with it. In order to go to Rome, he really wants to get a letter out to the church in Rome to get them ready for his arrival so he's not dialoguing through all the intricacies of the redemptive story of God, the gospel, uh, when he gets there like he did in Corinth. The Roman church, if you remember, is a unique setting because it was started by the Jewish people. Then the Gentile people joined as happened in many contexts during this time in history. Then the Jewish people were kicked out of Jerusalem and the Gentile people took over the church for a while and then the Jewish people returned. So you have a church that has that beautiful dynamic of the Jewish and Gentile world colliding under the redemptive story of God and yet the challenges that come with that collision, okay? So, Paul is writing into that to bring about the clarity and beauty of the redemptive story of God. Where are we at in that story? In the book of Romans, what we have in the book of Romans is in Romans chapter 1, Paul unpacks through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that those who did not have the righteous decrees of God, that did not have the law, that did not have relationship with God like the people of Israel did, uh, they, how did it go for them? What did their lives look like? And he declares in there uh, that the righteousness of God, the character of God, the, the power of God was revealed in creation and the people ignored it and they lived their own ways. And then he has a litany of how culture unfolded and, and we humans unfolded without the law. And it was a disastrous uh, a litany of behaviors that you're like, oh my goodness. And you recognize when you looked at the Gentile culture of that time, as you can do in ours, you were like, yep, no check. They did all those things. Those Greek pagans, unbelievable. And the, the people of Israel, the Jewish people who had the law, they were sitting listening into this chapter one of the Ro- book of Romans, amening all the way. Whoop, whoop. Man, unbelievable. Yeah, those those. <laughs> Gentile pagan crazies, no, no doubt. And, and what was the clarity gained there was that the righteousness of God uh, will not be satisfied by simply excusing unrighteousness, right? You can't do that because unrighteousness, sin, leads to disaster and death. And so to excuse it would undo justice and undo the righteousness of God. So what was the conclusion, chapter one? They are deserving of judgment, amen, amen. Chapter two. We're talking now to the Jewish people sitting in the jury box uh, with the judge going, wow, yeah. And the Greek moralists going, yeah, well, we did it right, even though we didn't have the law. And he starts speaking to them and he says, look, you had the decrees. You had the oracles. You had the right way of living. How'd it go for you? And what we discover in chapter two is though they had the law and lived under the law, they were not excluded from the law they behaved within the law in a manner unworthy of the law. And so it went really badly. And we conclude chapter two, finding out that not only are the Gentiles standing in judgment of God and his righteousness and and to satisfy justice, but so are the Jewish people. 
So are the people of God. And so by end of chapter two, you're kind of going, oh man, there is no one really innocent in this mix, is there? In the, in the beginning of chapter three, you remember, Paul then unpacks for those Jewish people because they start making excuses. And this is what they say, essentially. God's faithfulness promises to us in the early uh, Old Testament and in the law uh, have to be satisfied because God is faithful. And so you can't be right because we must be right with God so God can be faithful to us. How could God satisfy his faithfulness if his promises are broken because we were unfaithful? And Paul then unpacks in chapter three, well, actually, it works out really well. well. Let's take a look. And he uses the law, the Old Testament, the living rightly, and he uses it, brings it to the table and, and, and shows them how the law itself doesn't set them free, but declares them guilty. It condemns them. So we end in chapter three with this, uh, I mean, in the beginning of chapter three with a sense, okay, so, so if you were excluded from the law, you didn't know how to live rightly, that didn't go well for you. And if you were under the law, you knew how to live rightly, that didn't go well for you. So there is no one that it went well for. And then in chapter three, the most recent piece we were in last weekend, we sat as Paul used the Old Testament and the law to basically finally once and for all show that the law has been condemning the people of God all along by the way that they've been living. And he showed us that the law, which the people of God, the Israelites thought was their answer to sin, was actually not an answer, a treatment at all. It was the MRI machine that revealed the disease that existed inside the human heart. And that's when we found out last week that sin is not a behavioral problem. It's not simply there's a mark, we need to hit it. If we hit it, we're good with God. If we don't, we're not. Sin is a malevolent force of evil inside of us that came after the garden incident where we ate of the apple and tried to become like God. Sin infiltrated our lives as human beings. It enslaved our hearts and minds. It killed our souls. It infiltrated all of creation and creation groans to be redeemed from this horrid disease. And by the time we got to the middle of chapter three, it says that we were silenced. Our mouths were silenced. Do you remember that? And that's a, that's a, a legal term where you just kind of like all the evidence you brought to the table to set yourself free. You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. I did this. I'm a good person. I'm, it, it just doesn't cut it because our unrighteousness is revealed constantly because of something in us. But the other silence that took place was that picture of a doctor's office. Remember that moment where you're sitting in a doctor's office and you've had some tests run, the law's done its work, the MRI machine's run, and you're hoping, you're hoping it's okay. And then the doctor says, I got really bad news, man. Really, really bad news. It's not okay. And inside of you, there are things that this bruising, the headaches, the stuff, those are just symptoms. This, this, the de- disease in you is, is gonna kill you. It's bad, it's everywhere, and it's cancer. And you remember the the picture we landed on last week where we ended, where the hand goes over the mouth and you are silenced because you have no words for the news of that magnitude. And then last week we said, now on this this desk in this picture, you know how the, the doctors, when they're giving you really, really bad news, they usually have a folder sitting there and they're like, I'm not gonna come in an office with this bad of a news and not have a folder I can scoot in front of you and say, now we have a plan. So the folder is sitting on the table. And last week we stopped right before we opened the folder. But guess what we get to do this week? Are you guys ready? 
because we're going to scoot this folder on over and we're going to go, okay, what's in the folder? We have a sin problem that is bigger than we could have imagined. It is not a behavioral problem. It is a disease in us that has enslaved us and we need setting free and we can't do it because everything we've brought to the table in the court of law has not satisfied the need for justice and righteousness and we are left in the space where we don't know what to do and shifted in front of us here in Romans chapter three, starting in verse 21, the folder is shifted and we are about to open it and reveal whether or not there is indeed an answer beyond the law that will help us find freedom considering the disease under which we live. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. If you're using a smart device, Romans chapter 3 verse 21. If you're using your own Bible, Romans chapter 3 verse 21. If you're using one of the Bibles we provided, uh, it is page 1042. Page 1042, uh, at the top of the pages, you can just page through and find it, and you'll see Romans there, and you'll see verse 21 on the left-hand side, just a few verses down. Romans chapter, 20, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. Now, before we open the folder, this is that moment where the Spirit of God inspiring Paul is going to give us a quick intro before we open the folder. It's the hand on the folder going, okay, so look, here's what's in the folder, okay? Before I actually open it and read the sentence that is the answer. Folder's thick, by the way, lots in the folder. But page one, here we go. Folder's about to open, but this is what it says. Verse 21. But now... Now, let's stop there, okay, because those two words, very, very important. Not kidding. Remember, don't forget the setting in which we're sitting, because if you forget that, these two words don't mean much. But where have we just been sitting? We're sitting in the chair across from the desk. Our, our hand is over our mouth. We've just gotten the really super bad news that sin is a disease that has enslaved our hearts and minds. We don't know what to do. We are in shock. If you're not sitting there, then but now means nothing. Okay, But if you are sitting there with your hand over your mouth and you're trying to figure out what all this means, are you going to live? Are you going to die? Is your eternal destiny good or bad? How do you solve this problem? And the doctor says, but now. Those are incredibly hopeful words, are they not? That just, hold on, there is an answer to this problem. The doctor seems to have it and he just said, but now. Everything we've just said, really bad news, but now. But now. So let's just rest in those words for a second. But now, but now, thank God there's an answer to this insanely horrid problem called sin that has infiltrated everything good. Okay, but now, but now, but now what? But now what? We're not going to sit here forever. But now what? But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That is quite a sentence, man. Okay, let's, let's unpack this sentence for a second. So we know now that the righteousness of God had been uh, displayed, revealed in the law, right? The law is not bad, folks. The law is not evil. The law is the righteous decrees of God. It is the way of God. So when the law was revealed, we thought that the full righteousness of God was revealed in the law. But now he's saying something here. He's saying, the righteousness of God has been manifest to us apart from the law. Now, first of all, important, a little notice here. He did not say 
a righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law because that would suggest that the law is one version of God's righteousness and then there is some other version of God's righteousness. Remember, God fulfills the law. He does not undo the law, not because we need the law to live uh, by obligation, but because the law was in of itself beautiful. It is beautiful. It's just limited. Okay, so here's the deal. He says, I know you had the law and you had the decrees and we figured out that didn't cut it because we can't live up to them. But now the full righteousness of God is being manifest to you apart from the law that just condemned you. Isn't that awesome? Now, what does this word manifest mean? It's a super cool word, okay? Manifest is literally a word that means something that you did not know, that you could not see, that you could not touch and feel. It, it appears before you. Uh, the words in the dictionary are words like, it is unveiled, it is revealed, it is, it is manifest, it comes to be something that was not now is. Isn't that awesome? So we're sitting in the doctor's office, super bad news, sin has enslaved you, you're dead, and then appearing before us is this thing, this righteousness of God that has been revealed, that has manifest, that has appeared, that has been unveiled, and it is not the law. It is apart from the law. It is bigger than the law. It is an answer beyond the law because the law was not an answer. It was a condemnation because it showed us our sin, but it did not solve our sin problem because our sin problem is not a behavioral problem. That's just the fruit of the problem, which is a disease in us that has enslaved us. Okay, so something is manifest. It's the righteousness of God. It's apart from the law. Now look at the next sentence. Although... The law and the prophets bear witness to it. So what I love about this sentence is Paul now is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, this brand new thing that is the righteousness of God in a fuller version than the law is being manifest before us. It is appearing before us. It is being unveiled to us. But P.S. It's been in the law the whole time. It's been spoken of in the law the whole time. It's been around all the time. It's not like it's a brand new thing. God has been whispering this all along. What does he mean by that? That the prophets and the law spoke of this reality. So Genesis, right? Let's go back to Genesis for a second. Book of beginnings. In the very beginning of the story of Genesis, Genesis chapter one, we, the human race, are created in an environment of wonder and we are created without any sin, the disease that so enslaves our hearts and minds. In chapter one of the book of Genesis, he creates the, the universe, the worlds and us into the garden of Eden and it is all so good. And then Genesis chapter two, we zoom in to our story and God's and it's all about us and man and woman and the whole deal and it's just so beautiful. And we're like, that's what I'm talking about. The lion and the lamb are singing together. Not quite, that's in the children's books, but they are getting along. And so we're in this beautiful place of wonder. And, and then in, in Genesis uh, uh, chapter two, three and four, uh, so book of beginnings, in the beginning of the book of beginnings, right? The enemy of God comes to us through Adam and Eve and says, you know, if you pursue your own divinity, if you pursue your own story, it's so much better than living under God's. The reason he doesn't want you to eat of the fruit is because if you eat of the fruit, you'll know what he knows and then you can be like him. And we bought, we bought into that insanity. God had said, no, 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 you eat of the fruit, something will come into you, something deadly, something terrible, something called sin, which will produce death. Oh, we didn't buy it, so we ate of the fruit. And you know what we got? 
Exactly what God said. Sin and death came into us and all of creation. Now, here's the cool part. You ready for this? Oh my gosh, here it comes. Genesis chapter three, our story turns into a disaster zone, right? We are supposed to now be abandoned by God because we have abandoned God and we are supposed to face the full implications of our insanity. And you know what God says in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. He doesn't wait till chapter four. He doesn't wait till chapter five. Chapter three, verse 15, he says to Eve and to Adam, your offspring, someone that will be born from your line, someone that will come from the human race and yet not from the human race, born from you, through you, but yet bigger than you, someone, your offspring, will be against my enemy. There will be enmity between your offspring and my enemy, the one who just tricked you into this insanity. Listen to this. And he says, my enemy will bruise his heel. So he's gonna get hurt big time. It's gonna look like he's gonna get beaten. And you know what the next line is? But he will crush his head. (laughs) Boom. Bruise the heel, baby. I'm gonna crush the head. And in Genesis chapter 15, I mean chapter three, verse 15, is the first whisper from God in our disaster zone of a decision to say, ah, no, 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 no. No, there is something coming that will be a righteousness manifest, revealed, shown, that will set free the human race from this insanity. Genesis chapter three, verse 15. And then it goes on from there. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. He's talking to Abraham, who is the person he's called out uh, to begin the story with. And he says to him, uh, through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. There is something spoken of, whispered of, someone coming, some reality coming that will undo what is the burden and the weight of our slavery that we carry to sin. Uh, then in Isaiah 9, 6, remember Isaiah the prophet is speaking, for unto us a son is born, for unto us a child is given. That beautiful Christmas passage, there is one coming and all the weight will be on his shoulders. Isaiah 53, he will carry the iniquities of us all. He will be crushed under the weight of our sin. And we're like, what does that mean? Because he will do something we cannot. See, whispered constantly, declared constantly. Malachi chapter four, the very last passage in the Old Testament. And what does it say? Oh, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and he is coming. See, the entire Old Testament, all the prophets were shouting while the law was condemning the human heart, while the law was condemning the people of God, the Jewish people and the Gentiles, those excluded from the law, it was also declaring the answer. We just had not had it manifest yet, had it appear yet, had it reveal yet. So we're sitting in the doctor's office with the the declaration of of our condemnation, but we're waiting for the big reveal. Okay, so listen to this. You know what else is going on in this little sentence? The righteousness of God has been revealed, manifest, and it has been declared all along. Watch this now. This is so super crazy. So one of the great dilemmas that we had in chapter one and chapter two is this, that because we are unrighteous, first the Gentiles, and then we discovered the Jews as well, since we are unrighteous, God cannot, listen to this, he cannot fulfill justice by excusing our unrighteousness. Because in essence, he would be killing us anyways because our unrighteousness is what kills us, right? Because it leads to death and destruction. 
So he has to judge it with his judgment in order to satisfy justice and righteousness. But in judging our sin and judging our unrighteousness, he cannot simultaneously fulfill his promises that he made to the Jewish people and through the Jewish people to all of us because essentially what, he would, what it would say about God is he made promises that we would undo, that he then couldn't keep because we undid them. So why did he make them in the first place if he knew they weren't going to come to fruition? And that makes him what? Seem unfaithful. So how do you take this world where you can't excuse unrighteousness, though that would produce the room for faithfulness, but you can't, you can't be faithful if you, if you excuse unrighteousness because that would do, undo justice. Wait, wait for it now. Watch this. Watch this. In whatever this thing is that is about to be revealed, the righteousness of God manifesting itself, his righteousness will come to the table, satisfying our unrighteousness and fulfilling what needs to be done while simultaneously fulfilling his promises throughout the entire Old Testament and making him faithful. I don't know what this thing is, but when it shows up, it is going to satisfy righteousness, satisfy justice, satisfy promises, satisfy faithfulness, and we, the human race, undone, will be redone or redeemed. That's what's about to come. So, you ready for the folder? Okay, that's, I'm just, I just want to give you a quick view of what's in here. So we're about to open it up. We're going to see what this thing is because we got to know, right? Here it is. This is the sentence that now after that beautiful descriptor allows us to recognize what this thing is in the folder. So here we go. Let's open the folder. Page one. Open the folder. What's the answer? What's the answer, God, to our sin that has undone us? Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Let me read that again. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's what's on page one of the folder, folks. Here's the deal. This is an amazing sentence because you will discover this as we journey on through the rest of the book of Romans and through the rest of the New Testament that when you discover the full wonder of God's redemptive story and all of its intricacies, all of its complexities, all of its theology, all of its doctrine, all of its wonder, you're going to come back to this sentence over and over again and say, in this sentence, it's all there. The entire redemptive story of God is in this sentence. You just don't know that quite yet because you don't know all the depth that is under every statement in this little sentence. So let's quickly, briefly look at this sentence and then we'll unpack it for the next two decades together, okay? As we travel through the rest of the Bible. Watch this, watch this. Where does the sentence start? Where does the sentence start? Listen now. The righteousness of God. Well, that's a big deal, right? Whose righteousness is this that's being revealed? God's. God's righteousness. This is a righteousness of God. This is an incredibly important starting point in revealing the redemptive plan of God to rescue us from our sin and death. Because it is not a righteousness revealed in us or of us. You see, in our cultural context, we are obsessed with the us, right? We are obsessed about helping us understand how awesome we are, right? So everything is always about what you don't know about yourself. You see, you feel this and you feel that, but the truth is in you, there's more than you think. 
In you, you're stronger than you think. In you, there's, and so we're obsessed with it. Now, there's some truth to that. We often uh, are living under the weight of our baggage, and we are not fully living in our potential. But here's the reality. We have become so obsessed with that that we assume that if God's going to reveal some answer to be able to overcome the sin, it is going to be something in us we didn't know about. And then you might say, a righteousness of you is revealed that you didn't know about, that you had. This sentence leaves that off the table. We are still in a place where there is nothing revealed in you that you can bring to the table to rescue your soul from sin and death. The righteousness revealed is of God and only of God. It is his righteousness and his alone. And the answer to our dilemma is gonna be found in his righteousness, not in our own, because our own righteousness is as unrighteousness to him because it has been revealed that way through the law, which gives us the mark and we miss the mark, which reveals the disease, which leaves us dead. This righteousness of God, not of us. Second part to the sentence, here it is, right? Of God, through faith. Now, this is a big one. Through faith. This is an entire dynamic change. See, the entire time up to now, if you were living as the Jewish people under the law or as the Gentile people excluded from the law, there was this sense that there is some mark out there that I've got to go reach. And through reaching that mark, I will find salvation. I will find rightness. I will find justification, being made right or declared innocent. So here's what he said. I have shown you that the law cannot, it cannot produce your salvation, you being saved from this disease, because you can't live up to it. But this righteousness that's being revealed from God, it is of God, and it is not through behavior. It is not through right living. It is not through getting it done. It is not through being better than the other guy. It is not through knowing all the rules and following them. It is never gonna happen through that. This one comes through faith. Faith is the clarity and the, and the, and the, the, the manifestation, the reveal of a truth that changes everything that we then choose to believe in. Now, here's, this is so super cool. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I gotta just tell you this. You know what we're gonna find out later on in the book of Romans and in other places? That the faith, our belief in this reality of who Jesus is, is a gift given to us from God. Because our faith is from God because he is, in Hebrews it says, the author and finisher of our faith. So even the little piece were like, oh, okay, it's of God through faith. So the through faith is me. No, 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 there's nothing in you that buys you salvation because your faith was given to you as a gift from God. And you ex extended that faith, you, you expressed that faith and that brought you to salvation. So this is why later on he'll say in Ephesians, no man can boast for anything. You can't even boast in the fact that you were smart enough to believe because the faith was given to you as a gift of God. You saw because he allowed you to see. You knew because he allowed you to know. He gave us what we needed. So, of God, not of us. By faith, not by behavior. By faith, not by law. By faith, not by us. Okay, here we go. Next. In Jesus Christ. I mean, there's the whole answer, folks. That is the whole folder. It's just unpacked in extraordinary wonder in Jesus Christ. You know what's so super cool about this? God's answer to us and our sin problem is not a system. 
It is not a structure. It is not a way. It is not something to be accomplished, something to be produced. It's not something to be attained. It's not something you have to do. It's not something at all. It is someone. It is someone. It is a person. A person born in flesh and blood, but yet born supernaturally. A person that is like us and yet not like us at all. A person that looks like us and lives among us, but is more than us. A person that ends up being the creator and sustainer of us, and yet simultaneously with us. It is, here's where the word manifestation comes, right? It is the manifestation of God among us. This entire answer to our sin problem is not going to come through you becoming a better person or following the rules better or going to church more. It comes through faith, clarity, belief given to you by God of a righteousness that isn't your own revealed in one who is that righteousness. And he becomes the answer to our sin problem. And watch this now. Watch this. Through Jesus Christ, for who? All who believe. You know how how super cool that is? Now, at first you're like, oh, that's like everybody in all of the universe. But, But look at the context here. What has the entire context been so far? Two worlds, right? Who? The Gentiles and the Jews. The great world between those two. And what was the difference between the two? The Gentiles were excluded from the law. Therefore, are they deserving of the Savior who will come and rescue them from their sin? No, because they've been unfaithful. They've been excluded. They're not part of the people of God. The Messiah revealed in the Old Testament. Is he not for the people of God, for the faithful, for those who have followed God? Is he not? So if that's the case, then they are excluded from this wondrous person who is the answer to sin. But here's what that little verse says. They are not excluded. They may have been excluded from the law, but they are not excluded from the answer. Jesus is here for the Gentiles because the Gentiles, though unfaithful, though they have lived without the law and lived in insanity, he has come for them because the answer is not our behavior. The answer is his grace, mercy, and love and faithfulness. But what about the Jewish people? The Jewish people lived under the law, but were unfaithful to the law. So they also are undeserving of the fulfillment of the law in the Savior. They should be forgotten. They should be left behind. They should be abandoned because they had every reason not to be unfaithful, but they were unfaithful. But now we find out they were unfaithful because they had the same sin disease as the Gentiles. Who is Jesus for? He is for the Gentiles. Though they were once excluded, they are now grafted in. He is for the Jews. Though they were once unfaithful and should be abandoned, they are not forgotten and they are called in. For anyone who believes in the clarity of who Jesus is, your sin problem is undone because he heals you. You don't heal yourself. Okay, watch, 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 watch. There, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned, And fall short of the glory of God. So we already got that clarity. Chapter 1, chapter 2, half of chapter 3, right? Reminder, nobody, nobody brings to the table their good works, their stuff, their church going experience, their deal. And makes it because the problem isn't behavior. The problem is a disease. But look at this. This is an incredible word. And verse 24, are justified by 
His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Folks, when you're sitting at a table with a doctor and you've just found out you have a horrid disease that's killing you and you've just had a file folder shifted before you and the file folder's been opened before you and you hear that the solution is so out of the box you can't imagine and that your wheatgrass ain't gonna cut it anymore and there's nothing you can do that's gonna bring about healing but the healing is found in this person in this folder. There are two questions that emerge right away or they ought to at least. The first is how can this be? Who is this person? How did he become this answer? How is he the righteousness of God? How is he not like us if he's like us? How, how did this happen? Why can he do what we cannot? Thousands of questions because it seems like a solution, but it seems like a weird one. And so you're asking questions. That should be happening in your head. And then the second question should be this. What does it cost? What does it cost? Because it sounds expensive. Everything sounds expensive when it comes to healing this kind of a disease. Do you know what he just said? Do you know what he just said? Mm. This folder and all that you will discover in it that will help you understand how this became true, why this is true, and why Jesus is the solution to your sin. All of it is going to be a clarity to you that you will realize is of grace. It is grace that God gives to you because of his great love, and it is a gift. Can you imagine the doctor? No, 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 no. No, no. You bring nothing to the table to receive this gift. This is a gift by grace. And you can be the recipient. What an amazing clarity. And still, you don't know how. You don't know what it all means. You just know that there is an answer that is so out of the box, so insane, so impossible. You must know why. You must know how. How can it be? How can it be free? How can it be? What is the redemptive story of Jesus Christ? Because it says here, look, for by his grace as a gift, through what? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is this redemption? How does it work? How do I get it? Can I have it? Do I already have it? Don't I have it? What's gonna happen? Those are fantastic questions. Fantastic questions. Thankfully, the book of Romans has more than three chapters in it. It has 16 chapters, and we're only in chapter three. And the rest of the book of Romans is the unpacking of this folder in all of its beauty and complexity to show us how all this works, why all this works, who Jesus really is, how he became the answer, why he is the answer, and how we engage in that answer and who we are in Christ. Can I, can I share one more little secret with you real quick? Are you, are you still with me? I want to share one more thing with you that's just super cool. See, all of this as we're unpacking this, you might think as I might think, that this displays in chapter one and two, God's first experiment with the law, kind of threw that at us to see how that would go. And then that was plan A. And then plan A didn't work out because we had a sin problem that ran deeper than behavior. And so this is now plan B, plan A, the law, up, fail, plan B, Jesus, much better. But I want to tell you a little secret. Jesus was never plan B and the law was never plan A. The law was simply the means to reveal plan A, which was Jesus. How do we know this? <laughs> you ready? 
Genesis again, book of beginnings. We gotta go back there because that's where everything starts and that's where God was telling us secret stuff that we're now seeing manifest that we're like, no way! Genesis, listen to this, chapter 15, God is with Abraham. Abraham is called out from all the nations and God is about to take Abraham and birth a nation out of him, the nation of Israel, through which he will give them the law and the oracles that will reveal the Messiah and their sin so that they would encounter this passage in Romans and go, no way! All of that's happening. We're not in Exodus yet where the law is revealed, so it's not like they just got the law and God's going, oh, that's not gonna work. This is before the law. He calls Abraham out and he says, Abraham, you and me, we're gonna make a deal. We're gonna cut covenant. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you into this covenant and I'm gonna make some promises to you and you're gonna make some promises to me and then we're gonna hold those promises and we will remain faithful. Cutting covenant is taking an animal, cutting it in half, laying it out. They did this in the Old Testament. And, and here was the idea. You walk, one of you walks through between the two halves of the animal and you make promises. And then the second person walks through and they make promises, right? And then if you don't keep your promises, the person who did not keep their promises, the other person can do to them what they did to the animal. That's the idea. Why did they do that? Because they're mean and horrible? No, because we break promises all the time and that's incentive. You know what I'm saying? That's why we call this a covenant. That's why we call marriage a covenant. Uh, if only that's how it rolled. That changed the game, wouldn't it? We either fight through this or we die. I think we're going to go for the fight, right? So the reality is, side note, sorry about that. Covenant's going to get cut, right? Covenant's going to get cut. You know what God does in Genesis chapter 15? This is so insane. Plan A. Here's plan A, right? He hasn't given the law yet. We're wondering whether Abraham's going to be faithful. So right before Abraham walks through the animals, I promise God this and I promise God that, God puts him into a deep sleep. Abraham never got to walk through those animals in that story. He never did. He lay on the side like a little sleeping baby. Do you know who walked through the animals twice? It's not a trick question. God did. He walked through once to be faithful to Abraham. And he walked through a second time to be faithful for Abraham. He is our faithfulness. He is our salvation. He is our solution. He is our rescue. He is our redemption. He is our restoration. He is everything. He is the author of our faith. He is the finisher of our faith. He is the producer of our story. He starts it. He finishes it. He has done it all. And it is by his grace and his mercy that we have freedom in life. And the rest of the book of Romans is going to show us why and how. And we are going to become more and more captivated by the magnitude of our sin before he redeemed us and its potential and the magnitude of his grace for redeeming us. And we will land in Romans 12 someday and it will say, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, now give yourself to him and live in righteousness, not because you have to, but because you get to. Welcome to Romans. Let's pray. God, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're so stinking awesome. You really are. The more we dig into this, the more we realize that it is not our righteousness, not our goodness, not our rule following that is going to produce the freedom from a disease called sin that we inherited from our forefathers when they made a horrid decision in the garden to pursue their own divinity instead of yours. 
We know that we cannot overcome this disease in of ourselves. So we are so grateful that you added the words, but now into this passage, showing us that the righteousness that is yours will be manifest, unveiled, revealed, shown to us, not as a system or a process or another way by which we need to try to attain or try to, try to produce salvation or rescue, but through a person who will become righteousness that we cannot pay the price for the unrighteousness that we cannot and redeem our story in a way we cannot. God, show us in this beautiful book of Romans how all this is possible and lead us into a way where we find ourselves captivated, found, rescued in you. May you become for us the answer as you have shown yourself to be so that we might live freely, not by behaving better, but by discovering you more. God, thank you. Thank you that you have come, lived, died, and rose from the dead to rescue us from the slavery that we once lived under in sin and death and set us free to be enslaved to freedom and righteousness and live in you, by you, and through you by the power of your spirit in us. We love you. We're in, in awe of you. And now we will worship you in response because you are everything for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.